Welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, where we talk to great bosses and those who build great bosses about what it takes to be a great boss. And now, here is your host, the founder and CEO of Boss Builders, Mac Monroe. Well, welcome to this very first episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. My name is Mac Monroe, and my company is Boss Builders. Uh, this podcast, the first one in the series, is really designed to give you an idea of what the podcast series will be about and a little bit about myself. Let's start with what to expect in this podcast. What I want you to understand is that I'm doing these pieces of information to help you become a better boss. And when I tell you my story, you'll understand why that's important. There are really two types of people that will be interviewed on my Boss Builder podcast. The first is what I call great bosses, and these are people that I've worked with or people who've been referred to me that have a reputation as being really, really good bosses. And I'm going to ask them some questions about how they got developed, which is designed to give you some ideas of how you can develop to be a better boss. The second kinds of folks I'm going to interview are what I call boss builders. These are people kind of like myself that have tools and techniques and experiences that enable them to do the kind of work that I'm doing here. And that's helping you as the boss get better. So you can expect podcasts on a regular basis, probably about 45 minutes in length that are designed for you to sit down, take notes in and apply the lessons that you learn so that you can become a great boss. My story actually begins in the spring of 1982. In the spring of 1982, I was a senior in high school at a very prestigious college prep high school in Southern California. And at this very, very prestigious high school full of really crazy smart students, I was actually ranked fourth in my graduating class. Of course, that's not all that special because that ranking was fourth from the bottom. So unlike all of my classmates that had these grandiose dreams of attending school at Pepperdine and Stanford and UCLA, I was actually not planning to go to college. I planned on graduating and getting a job. Both of my parents were not college educated. They seemed to be doing pretty well. And so that's what my future held for me. Well, every Friday we would have recruiters from the various colleges come and speak to our class and talk about their programs. And one Friday, I guess somebody must have really screwed up bad in the career office. We had a representative from a trade school. And so the speaker got up and he says, I'm from the Southern California College of Medical and Dental Careers. And what we teach at our school is dental laboratory technology. And he opened up this bag and passed out a bunch of dentures that we could look at. And these were all models for training, so they weren't real. But he says, you know, being a dental technician is like being an artist. And I really was interested. That got my attention. I really enjoyed working with my hands, building model airplanes. And I thought, this is almost like building model airplanes. I bet I could really do well at this and I'd enjoy it. Well, the recruiter left the brochure and I went ahead and filled the application out. And I was immediately accepted and I was excited. And then the recruiter called. He says, hey, by the way, we have an essay contest. And if you write an essay and win the contest, you get free tuition. And so even though I was a knucklehead student, I was actually a pretty decent writer. And so I wrote the essay and lo and behold, I won the contest, which means my tuition was free. And my parents were very happy about that. So in the spring of 1982, I graduated on a Friday and on Monday started my program at the college. Well, I fell in love with it. I could sit with my little Walkman headphones on listening to cassettes and I could work with my hands and I was learning and I was enjoying it and I did very, very well. My specialty was going to be in removable prosthetics, which were dentures. And so in the fifth month of the six month program, we were all required to do an internship. 
My internship was at a place called Modern Denture Institute. It was a lab in Orange, California, and it was run by a guy named Dr. Cordell Riley. So I started there and I realized that Modern Denture Institute was neither modern or was it an institute. It was more like an institution. We actually worked long hours, usually 7 a.m. till about 6 p.m., often without a lunch break. Dr. Riley's specialty was a set of dentures for $200 delivered in one day, and most of his patients were people from the old folks' home who didn't have any teeth, and so his his method was production. It was moving fast, and moving so fast that he didn't really take much good care of the, uh, I guess, the infection control processes, so we started to find that there was a lot of issues, and of course, he wasn't interested in fixing any of that because he was out to make a buck. And getting cheap labor like me was very helpful. I was actually getting paid $10 a day. And even when I wasn't busy in the lab, he had all these other things he'd have me do. I'd have to go pick up his wife at the beauty parlor and stuff like that. Well, I just remember being so stressed out, and he just stressed me out. And at the end of the month, he, he told me, he says, you know... I don't have any use for you. I'm not going to offer you a position. In fact, that $10 a day I spent, you should have paid that to me for the experience I gave you. And I remember being so relieved. I left the lab and went back to school. And I remember thinking, wow, yeah, Dr. Riley, he's got to be the absolute worst boss ever. Well, I finished the program. And unfortunately, there was a really bad recession going on in Southern California. And every lab that I went to apply to they all wanted somebody with five years of experience. And of course I didn't have that. And so it was getting very frustrating. I was looking even in places where I might have to drive two hours to find a job. And, and being a lab tech back then, I think I paid maybe 12, 15 bucks an hour. So I started to really worry and, and kind of figure out what I was gonna do. And so I went back to my instructors at the school and all of those guys were retired Navy dental technicians. And they told me, they said, why don't you join the Navy? You could go to, Join the Navy, you get paid, you'll go to lab school, and then you can work for five years, get your five years experience, and then go ahead and get out. And I thought it was a good idea, so I went and talked to the Navy recruiter, and of course he said, oh my goodness, with that certificate, well, you'll come in probably as a pay grade E3. Now you have to go to basic dental assisting school first, but don't worry because about halfway through the school, they do a chalk carving test, and what you do in the chalk carving test is carve a piece of chalk into a tooth, and if that turns out well, they offer you lab school and then you become a lab tech. And I says, wow, that sounds good. So I signed the papers. I went into late entry. So it was about a 10 month wait. And then I went to basic training, which actually wasn't all that bad. And then right after basic training, went to dental assisting A school right there in San Diego. Now, I do remember going into A school thinking, you know, thank goodness I'm not going to do this because I never want to be a dental assistant because actually what you do as a dental assistant is suck, suck blood and spit through a tube and hand instruments to the dentist. Well, I got about halfway through and then, of course, they had the chalk carving test, which I aced that. And I was anxious to hear about my application for school. And the head of the lab school said, well, I'm sorry, but we have no openings this year. You're going to have to reapply after you've gone through your first duty station. And I says, well, I don't really want to be a dental assistant. He's like, well, no one really cares what you want. The needs of the Navy always come first. Well, as a consolation prize, I guess, they sent me to Nav Comstay Harold E. Holt in Exmouth, Western Australia. Now, that whole long line, all I heard was Australia, and I figured it was going to be wild and beautiful. And in fact, I didn't bother looking on the map, seeing it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, 26-hour plane ride there ended with me landing on this isolated, desolate dirt runway 
And my sponsor met me and he says, let's go to the clinic and you can meet your new boss. Well, my new boss was a tall, very physically fit dental officer, Lieutenant Commander Gary Backer. And the first thing Dr. Backer says to me is, Monroe, you're fat. You need to go to the gym and get your fat measured. I know you're going to be on the fat boy program. Now, this is my welcome. So I start working with him and he's just a terrible boss. If I hand him the wrong instrument, he kicks me in the shins underneath the patient tells this patient how stupid his tech is. And I just remember being so discouraged, realizing everything I ever wanted was gone. I'm in this isolated place. I'm not a lab tech. I'm doing a job I hate. And I was really, really frustrated. And I think had he not transferred, you know, seven months later, I really don't know what would have happened. But thankfully he left and his replacement was much nicer and actually a lot more positive. And so after working through that for a few years, I transferred back to the U.S. By now, I kind of had given up on the idea of being a dental lab tech and instead thought maybe I should get a college degree. Now, we were stationed, uh, my, my wife and I, uh, both dental assistants in the Naval Hospital in Long Beach, California, and we were going to a college program through Southern Illinois University in healthcare management. The program we were applying for, the Medical Service Corps in-service procurement program, required a bachelor's degree. And so we finished it, got transferred to Guam, started applying, and we kept getting rejected. And finally, we asked why. And one of the recruiters says, well, everybody getting picked up has a master's degree. So I'm thinking, wow, you know, you work hard, get to the finish line. Somebody moves the finish line five miles down the road. Well, we went into the Navy campus office in Silverdale, Washington now, where we were stationed. And... I asked, you know, what programs do you have that don't have math in them? Because I'm horrible in math. And the recruiter for Chapman University said, well, we have organizational leadership. And that doesn't have math in it. I said, well, what is it about? She said, well, it's a new program. It's about leaders and managers. I said, fine. I don't really care. I just need a stupid master's degree. So I began the program. And at the time, I was in my first real supervisory position, 1995-96, working as the leading petty officer of the dental clinic on the submarine base at uh, the base Banger, Washington, Silverdale. And I had an absolutely horrible boss. His name was Captain Davies. Captain Davies looked a lot like the Burger King King, kind of crossed with the pointy-haired boss from Dilbert. And he wasn't a screamer like many of the bosses I'd had before in the Navy. He was just very condescending and just nitpicky and just very difficult to work with. And every day as his clinic LPO, I had to sit and have a meeting with him and he would go through his long to-do list of all the things that were wrong and broken. And, and so day after day, I just thought, man, this is just grinding on me. And I was even really losing interest in even being an officer or being in the Navy. And yet on October the 11th, 1996, I actually got a great deal of clarity. I don't know what it was about that day, but he was in a particularly awful mood and he was on and on about all the things I'd been doing wrong. And finally he says, and by the way, when was the last time you changed the plan of the week in the officer's lounge? Now in the Navy, the plan of the week is a little uh, kind of a one page document that lists events that are going on. And so those would come from headquarters and I would post them in different places. Well, I don't know why I didn't put it in the officer's lounge. So he wanted to walk back there and just show me. And he's going through and he's saying, oh, you know, do you not know how to read a calendar and all these things? And so, you know, he has his back to me. And I don't know what it was. I just raised up my fist ready to cave in the back of his head. And I think the only reason I didn't is that my son, Dustin, was about three months old. And I thought, man, if I kill Captain Davies, I go to the brig. I'll never see my son. So I, I stopped. But I did really get a moment of clarity. And I realized on that day that my new mission in life was to prevent 
that kind of bad boss behavior from ever happening again. My goal was to raise the next great generation of great bosses. And I stuck with that. And that was the day I made the, the decision that I was going to get out of the Navy. I was going to eventually have my own business. And that's what I did. I ended up finishing my master's degree and walked out of the Navy at the 15-year mark. We had My wife stayed in. She got stationed over at Millington, Tennessee. I took a job there working in supervisory development at a, a medical group. And then she got stationed over in the Washington, D.C. area, and I took a job as director of professional development at a trade association. That was actually pretty boring. But then I had an opportunity to work at a uh, hospital, and it was doing uh, management education. I had a boss. She was the director of training, and then our big boss was the VP of Human Resources. Now, I won't use her real name because I think she's probably still working, but we'll just call her by her nickname, which was Cruella. And uh, Corella was a bit of a control freak. And I remember being there. I was, I was there probably about maybe a little over a year. And I was thinking about quitting anyway. But uh, I, I got a call from the CEO's assistant. And she says, the CEO would like to meet with you because he was teaching one of the courses in my program. And so we went up and I sat down with him and we talked over some changes to the material. And I got back to my office and my butt just sat in the cushions. And I get a call from my immediate boss and she says, Mac, where were you? I says, uh, why? She says, where were you? I says, I was meeting with the CEO. She said, did you let Corella know? And I says, uh, no. She says, you never ever meet with the CEO without letting her know first. And I said, well, I don't remember her being invited. She's like, it doesn't matter. I said, well, how did she know I was meeting with him? And she says, well, she has access to your calendar. She knows everything that you're doing. And I said, okay. Well, since I was getting ready to quit anyway, I went on my calendar and just started filling in all the dates. Meet with Kevin, meet with Kevin, that was the CEO's name, and hoping she would go absolutely crazy. And I ended up quitting shortly after that. And that's when I started my business and, of course, never really looked back. But I have to admit, thinking back, Captain Davies, the worst boss ever. Cruella, the worst boss ever. Dr. Backer, the worst boss ever. Dr. Riley, the worst boss ever. And yet I'm pretty certain I'm not the only guy on the planet that's had a bad boss. Which brings us to the podcast. The podcast is designed, again, to give you ideas, tools, technique, information, advice, so that you, as my listener, the boss of something, can go out and do a much better job. And again, by hearing from really good bosses what they do, what they say, how they act, how they developed, and by listening to boss builders, those who actually build bosses, people like myself, colleagues, coaches, speakers, authors, consultants, we want to give you the best practices on how to do this well. So you can expect podcasts, probably 30 to 45 minutes in length. I'm going to have interviews, and I'll do some of the podcasts myself, give you some tools and techniques that I've created but I am looking forward to the opportunity to work with you where we can together really realize my vision of creating the next great generation of great bosses. So that's our intro. I'm so thankful that you are a subscriber. I look forward to meeting with you on a regular basis. And until next time, go out there and be an awesome boss. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast with Mac Monroe. To get more information on being a great boss, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com.
or at Mac's blog, macmonroe.com. Until next time, get out there and be a great boss.